viral news story going on this week. Perhaps you've noticed it uh, on your news feed or your news paper, newspaper. Hmm? Uh, some people have those still. Uh, a viral news story about baptism. Do you know what I'm talking about? There uh, was discovered this week that a, a Catholic priest was performing invalid baptisms for over 20 years. <laughs> what made these baptisms invalid is something quite surprising. He uh, was unknowingly changing a pronoun in the liturgy. Instead of using the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he said, we baptize you. We, not I. That small unintended change was considered as altering the liturgy of baptism, which Catholic priests are not allowed to do under any circumstances, and therefore that rendered all these baptisms that he performed invalid for over 20 years. And there's a series then of, of windfall effects for, for those individuals who were baptized by this priest, including questions of validity of their, of their confirmation, of their marriages, of their own children's baptisms, and also then for the certainty of their faith. Talk about a faith crisis. As I read this story, uh, I began to, to grieve the turmoil that this whole thing has put those individuals who were baptized by that priest through. You see, because a small, unintended change brings into question the whole story of faith for them. And I also grieve that, that this sacred invitation into the mystery of God, that, that God initiated in relationship with humanity, would be distilled into demands for perfection by those performing the baptism and those receiving the baptism and not grace and, and grace unending for anyone who participates. In the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is our denomination, we affirm one baptism however it is often offered. Uh, the baptism of an infant or a believer by uh, immersion in a lake or font or pool or by sprinkling or pouring on the water. You see, we believe we can hold things together. That what is highlighted in baptism is not the work of perfection of the pastor or the priest or the person being baptized, but actually the grace of God. That the grace of God is what holds it together. That God would be doing the work of cleansing and adopting and covering and, and renewing and restoring. Because we are imperfect people, imperfect pastors, and there um, and, and, and there we are together in baptism to bear witness to something, to bear witness to grace and, and to celebrate it any and every time a person is baptized. Even more than that, we, we celebrate that happen, uh, that baptism happens actually because of the we, not the I. That when an I, an individual, is baptized, they are making a statement that they are becoming a we, that they are becoming a one that joins the fellowship of the body of Christ, the church. Our covenant book of worship uh, states it like this. Baptism is not an act apart from community, but it's actually uh, but in and, and towards community. 
What is remarkable is that by the grace of God, the I that is baptized is joined to the we of the church. As we go to our scripture passage this morning, I'm going to invite us to contend with the ideas of I and we. So first, uh, let us read this passage together. We are in a series on Philippians, reading through the book that the Apostle Paul wrote, and we are in uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 9. Feel free to take a Bible out if you need it. It's on the screens. Uh, It's always nice to see it in context, though, where these things are all written, how it all is threaded together, because Paul didn't write this letter like a chapter here and then a week later a chapter there. He wrote the whole thing, Uh, and so it all has something to say. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eurodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Oh, that's rich. Can I admit something to you before we move through this? At first read of Philippians 4, I get a little um, frustrated. And whenever I encounter things in Scripture that frustrate me or confuse me or confront me or dissatisfy me, it's important to keep looking, to keep uh, digging, to, to bring those real feelings to God in our reading. This is part of why we say Scripture is holy, because the Spirit is speaking to us even in our discomfort. So I, uh, I, I, first reading, I'm frustrated because I want uh, this passage about anxiety and peace and guarding our hearts and minds to function as a mental health guidebook. I want it to be more clear than this. You see, as someone who has held a mental health diagnosis for a season of my life, I would like Paul to address my anxiety with something more helpful than Don't be anxious about anything. Yeah, I know I shouldn't be anxious about anything, but I am. And so now what, Paul? Give me a little something. Too often those of us who are anxious 
who contend with her own mental health never finds the relief, the true healing we long for in our personal struggles and mental health by just reading or believing what the Bible says. You see, the Bible, uh, and Paul specifically, is not writing a mental health guidebook. In fact, he isn't really addressing individual mental health issues at all here. And before we move on, I do want to encourage you from one person in therapy to another, your mental health matters to God. God wants healing for you. And the work of healing is not just not being anxious, okay, or not being sick or not having struggle, but by experiencing the grace of God's healing and by experiencing it through a lot of things, therapy or medication and prayer, being connected to community, all these things, God wants for you to heal you. I'm here. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to walk with you if that's something you struggle with. You see, Paul isn't writing to a bunch of individuals that struggle with anxiety. Paul is actually writing a letter, remember, to a faith community, a whole church in Philippi. And he's encouraging a community, a group of people toward healthy functions. He's not addressing the I. He's addressing the we. There's a difference here. And so I want to invite us to read this again with the perspective that that Paul is writing to a community of people, all who are seeking to love Jesus and be in community together. We're going to focus on verses 4 through 9, thinking about it from the we perspective. Starting in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Sounds different, doesn't it? The we, not just the I. You see, this community is invited away from something and towards something else. Uh, Paul is inviting this community to, to move away from functioning out of anxiety. You see, as a Christian community, as a a church, it's so easy to make decisions in the heat of the moment, uh, to to pursue actions that that are a reaction instead of a response, uh, and to make determinations uh, that seek to settle the issue without ever addressing it. You see, these are anxious ways of functioning in community. Paul says to the community, Don't be anxious. Don't function this way. You see, this we community, not a small one, but a we, right? A we community works against anxious functions Paul lays out by 
by praying, by petitioning, by giving thanks, and by discerning the will of God, by bringing all the things that might bring anxiety to the forefront of a conversation with God. This is so counter to the eye anxiety that can happen in community, where we just plow forward and we make plans and we execute ideas without ever asking God what God wants. A part of what we do as a we community, Paul says, is we do this, uh, all this work, we do it in prayer and discernment. And then after, after that, uh, Paul offers three more things, three practices that define a we community. You see, a, a we community practices three things, rejoicing, forbearing, and participating in the peace that makes no sense. For a gathering of eyes to ever become a we, we must practice this kind of community. So let's spend some time on each one of these things. You see, in verse 4, uh, in his, his final exhortations to the Philippian church, uh, Paul invites this Christian community to rejoice. I love the word rejoice in English, because if you take it apart, it sounds like uh, we are to rejoice. Re at the front of any word tells you to do it again, and joyce meaning joy. So Paul uh, perhaps is inviting us to joy again, to joy again. We are to return to our joy again and again. And this joy is always found in the Lord, Paul says, always. And that doesn't mean that the heartbreaks or challenges or contentions or factions uh, the community experiences will always be joyed in. Nah. But that the invitation is that joying again is always an option. That though we may go through hard things, there is always the opportunity to joy again. I wonder if you've ever experienced a joy in the Lord. Sometimes it feels even a little cheap to say just joy in the Lord. I wonder if you've experienced it. Something that you can hearken back to. <gasps> I experienced joy in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice that one. I'm going to joy it again. I had two instances in the last couple of weeks that I want to share with you. The first happened this last Wednesday night at our, our Space Crew Kids Gathering. Uh, we, this is the second week that we've been doing this, this kind of gathering with kids. And, and Hannah, uh, our children's ministry intern, has kind of crafted this amazing time. An hour and 15 minutes of just play. And you might wonder, how does that go? It's just remarkable. Uh, and so the kids come in. They're learning about scripture, but they're, they're playing. And one of the activities she had the kids do uh, uh, on Wednesday was um, put together a, a memory verse. She had little pieces, uh, a memory verse printed out on paper, and she cut out each of the words. And then the kids had to put them all together. But instead of just like handing them a pile of those cut up words, uh, she hid them in a, in a bin, a big plastic bin, that was filled with white packing peanuts. Okay, and there were two teams, uh, and, and they had to go right as fast as they could, these little children, to get all the pieces of paper out of the packing peanuts and then arrange it, okay? You can imagine how this went, right? 
You could, you could see it in your mind's eye. Now, these two teams are so interesting to watch uh, because one team slowly started to kind of scoop through to find the pieces of paper, and they started finding them. You know, one packing peanut fell out or one other one fell out. Oh, whoopsies. Kids are putting the peanuts back into the bin, you know, as they're going. And then the other team quickly discovered uh, that 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 method is not going to work to get all of the words of the memory verse out. So they took that giant bin. I'm, I'm like a, like a bin. They took that giant bin and just flipped it all over, <laughs> all over the floor. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you that kids were like swimming in the white packing peanuts looking for these verses. Well, when the other team that was working quite neatly uh, discovered a more efficient and effective way of finding the memory verse, well, they just copied, and pfft, all of the things came down, and the kids were swimming in it, and it was stuck in kids' hair, uh, and, and it was stuck on the bottom of our shoes. Hilarious. The kids were laughing. They were joying. They were loving it, and I was laughing so hard because I was like, this is really bold of Hannah to do, you know, just like make a total mess. Now, the best part was the kids were motivated to get this memory verse put together, learning about discipleship, but then they all participated in cleaning it up. And that was another beautiful, joyous occasion that I was so uh, privileged to participate in. As I asked the kids at the end of the night, what was your favorite part? They said, oh, playing with those foam peanuts. And I said, what was the point of that? Oh, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> These kids are making joyful memories here at church in their discipleship with Jesus. This is so important. Uh, uh, two Fridays ago, I also had the experience um, of gathering together with our friends and residents at Covenant Shores. Uh, Covenant Shores is a, a retirement community, and we have a number of, of congregants that, that live there. And so they gather once a month uh, to just be together, uh, to be Newporters in community. And I got to go and join. Part of that time, we were, we were sitting around the, ta uh, around the circle, and, and we began having conversation just about, about life, sharing life with one another. And I heard again and again and again from these friends of ours, these uh, we community members, about the impact and significance of being in a community for decades. Uh, people who knew their stories from way, 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 way back. And they rejoiced. They joyed again in a community that was walking with them, who had been with them in, in terrible things and in very joyful things. I just watched as a, a portion of our community rejoiced. Rejoiced. It happens with our children, and it happens with our, our friends who are older and who are teaching us things as well. The work of rejoicing invites all people, no matter of age, to encounter the God of joy for the first time or the millionth time, and then also to provide space to rejoice again at what God continues to do. What God does in the same ways and what God does in new ways all the time. Rejoicing. Next, Paul invites the we community to let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is one thing, uh, but what Paul is really articulating here is this idea of forbearance, all right? Patience. This is something different than just being gentle. 
And if we are to parse the English word out a little bit, forbearance is bearing with one another ahead of time. <laughs> bearing with one another ahead of time. Forbearing. And oh, if there are two things that I don't like, it's having patience and it's the other people who require me to have patience. <laughs> don't pray for it, right? You've heard that. Don't pray for patience. We should, actually. Paul's saying, cultivate your patience. One of the things that brings Christian community, a we community together, is the work of forbearance. You've probably heard uh, that, that the church would be so much easier if there weren't people involved in it. Mm -hmm. It seems like a special challenge to the church these days to bear forbearance. I wonder what things you notice make this difficult for a we com community to be patient Perhaps it's political divisions. Perhaps it's uh, the pandemic response, the reaction, the requirements. Perhaps there are power struggles that make any sort of forbearing difficult. Perhaps it's even theological dissent. You see, it sometimes seems like we are surrounded on all sides with exercises in forbearance. I think the call to forbearance uh, especially is necessary as we emerge from this pandemic. You uh, probably noticed or, or caught wind of Governor Inslee's uh, most recent announcement about lifting the mask mandate on March 21st. And I can imagine we, we, we community, are all responding to this in different ways. There's, there's joy, there's relief, there's fear, there's worry, there's frustration, there's hope. Perhaps all of these things are wrapped up in each one of us, too. We're feeling a bit of all of that. I do want you to know that your responses to, to how we emerge, those, how, how you're responding is welcome here. We're not expecting that everyone needs to be on the same page, but, but we do know that our reactions and responses to these things are varied. And we want you to know that as, a, as an elder board, as a, a staff team, as a community of we, we will continue to take care, the best care we can of, of all of these things. And we commit to doing our best for you for the sake of, of the we. As we hear from you, as we move forward carefully, thoughtfully, intentionally. It's important as we do this that we forbear one another that we're patient with one another, that we're seeking to see one another. Rejoicing, forbearing, and then finally, participating in a peace that makes no sense. This is perhaps my favorite part of Paul's invitation to a we community, a peace that makes no sense, or as he says, a peace that transcends all understanding. All right, that's good, but, but a piece that makes no sense. I like that better. It's such a nice idea, right? When Paul talks about anxiety or, or problems, that, that we would experience sensations of, of peace despite the situation around us. But I want to remind you, Paul is not speaking to our individual sensations or our individual experiences of calm. He is speaking to a a peace, a unity, a togetherness, a shalom that goes beyond what humans can perceive or create on their own. This 
is the peace that Paul is talking about. There are ways that, that we create peace, and the, and the Bible does not exclude individuals from doing the work of peace, but the kind of peace that happens in a we community is the result of the nearness of God. It is the peace, the shalom that transcends all understanding. You may notice uh, two phrases, one in verse 7 and one in verse 9. It says, and the peace of God, and then, and the God of peace. You see, this peace comes from God, and it also is the character of God. And we, in, in no way as humans, can come up with this stuff. Here's the way to be peaceful. Here's the way to change. But we, a community bound around the divine when we are, something happens to us. We experience the peace of God, and we become the peace of God in the world. Does it make sense? No, it, it, it's a peace that makes no sense. It transcends all understanding. One eye is not responsible for this peace. One political affiliation is not responsible for this peace. One theological framework is not responsible for this peace. And in, one individual cannot master the shalom possible in a Christian we, but we are bound by Christ. And we are guarded in our hearts and minds, it says, to pursue this peace in very surprising ways. This is the work that we as a church are called to do. And it is some of the work that we are, are doing in our uh, invitation to racial, ra racial righteousness class on Wednesday nights. See, a group of, of, of Newporters are doing the difficult work of, of pursuing peace, of, of discovering shalom, biblical shalom, that, uh, that sometimes does not make sense. Because the way of reconciliation is certainly beyond human understanding. And it is certainly found first in the heart of God. And in the heart of God, it makes complete sense. This Christian we, we are pursuing on this uh, in Wednesday nights. Uh, and we pray that it continues. Not just to be left on Wednesday nights, but, but all the time. This is the, the Christian we. The Christian we rejoices, forbears, and pursues the peace that makes no sense. And then uh, we read about what happens, what, what, what the characteristics come from a we community in verses 8 and 9. Our NIV translation moves us forward, uh, and it says, uh, whatever is true, lovely, right, pure, uh, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But a better translation of that, think about such things, is to take account of these things, to reckon with them. Oof, I love strong words. <laughs> this is different than just thinking about them. Hmm, lovely, noble, pure. I could think about th those things all day. I, me, not the we, I could do that. I certainly uh, want to think about those things. But again, Paul is addressing a community. Perhaps Paul is inviting an audit of sorts. If you're going to take account of things or reckon with them, he's taking an audit or inviting the community to take an audit of their 
unity and their belonging, of their mission, friendship. And he's saying, how are these character traits being accounted for within your community? Can these things that go on between us be described in words like this? I wonder if we are, you can see on the screens, to take account of the things that go on between us. Is this how people or how we would describe these things? Are the things that go on between us true, meaning not hidden? Are the things that go on between us noble? Are they dignified? Are they full of character? Are they breathing out the character of Christ? Are the things that go on between us right? Do they align with the heart of God? Are the things that go on between us pure? Do, are they immaculate and free? Are they united with God's holiness? Are these things lovely? Are they pleasing and beautiful? Not tidy, but full of the image of God. Are they admirable? Do they sound well? Do they speak life? Do they say good things? These are the results of being in a we community, the, the preferred results. And, and we could add to this list for days, couldn't we? But I wonder, are these the results of our we togetherness? Do, would people come uh, and participate with us new or, or come back or have been here for 45 million years? And would they say, oh, yes, this is what it's starting to look like. I actually think we're on the right track. I think we're moving towards something that looks a lot like this. And that's exciting to we. <laughs> that's exciting to we. Being a, a part of a we community is not for the faint of heart. You see, often during a, after the sermon, we have this kind of time of reflecting and responding. And, and recently, it's been kind of on our own um, being quiet before God, which is super important. Don't get me wrong. But I want to invite us to something a little bit different, a little uncomfortable. And I want to acknowledge the discomfort is okay to feel and that you get to gauge your participation in this based on what you feel. There's no, we're not forcing anything, only encouraging or inviting. How about that? Today, it, I want to invite us into... We, we communities, small, <laughs> we communities. And during this time of reflect and respond, I want to invite you to connect with someone else, okay? Um, when I do workouts, right, they always give modifications so that you don't hurt yourself, all right? And so I want to give modifications. I'm going to give kind of uh, one option, and then you get to choose all the modifications that work for you. What I would love is for you to find someone that you didn't come to church with uh, so that you could kind of reach out to the rest of the we that we are together uh, with. Find someone you didn't come to church with, um, and you will be invited to answer one of three questions. They'll come on the screen in just a minute. Um, that, that, that's, goal, that's one goal, okay? If you'd like a modification, you are more than welcome, more than welcome uh, to have conversation with someone you did come to church with. Okay? If, you, if that still is like, I don't even know if I could do that, right? It's in a pandemic, a mask and everything, you, that is totally fine. Uh, then we invite you to consider these questions on your own, all right? It, this is entirely up to you, your choice. But, but um, even as you're hearing these conversations, perhaps you're, 
you're, you're perceiving your part in the WE community. We also uh, want to involve our online congregation. And so um, Holly, who's hosting us today, will be putting that question up uh, in the chat, and then uh, you'll comment. And those of you who have Facebook uh, that are in the room, you can always go on later and to hear from more of our WE uh, as we have conversation together. And so uh, I invite you, you're going to choose one of these questions to discuss with, with your we partner <laughs> um, or to consider on your own. Uh, I want you to either share a time when you experience joy, and that act of even sharing it is, is literally rejoicing, uh, or you can um, share about a time in your life that, that required forbearance, patience, or uh, number three, when was a time that you noticed a piece that makes no sense. I want you to just pick one. I want you to make sure that if you are in a, a, a pair, uh, that both people get a chance to share. And I will be holding our time carefully and then invite us back into a, a whole we uh, when the time is right. So with the grace of God and the joy of discomfort, I invite you to gather into those groups as you feel ready.
Thanks, Nancy. You have about a minute more. If you can finish up that conversation or make sure the other person has the time to share. Go for it. If you can now finish up your final thoughts and know that you don't have to end the conversation here. You can talk after the worship service, I tell you. So feel free uh, to do that. <laughs> Y'all are really bad at ending these conversations. <laughs> I'm sure our online congregation is doing an excellent job. Thank you. Thank you for pursuing this so carefully. I invite you, if you moved, I love seeing that. Stay where you are. I wonder what it would be like to worship next to someone you don't normally worship next to. Thank you for investing. Investing in a way that might feel uncomfortable. Considering the we community actually with community, and I do mean it, you can continue these conversations uh, after the worship service. I hope that some connections were made, uh, both with a neighbor and with God. So God, bless these words that were shared with one another. Bless the connection that was shared with one another. And God, would those things not just be uh, the thing that we honor and call holy, but we, we honor and call holy you who made this possible. And would we pursue a community that looks so much like we that looks so much like we. Amen. <laughs>